Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember this information, it is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Cam, I believe we have a guest. Yes, yes, that's her in the distance, riding in on a slizzard. It is, of course, Daisy Edwards from the W-Rated Podcast. Hello, Daisy. Hi, and my slizzard says hello too. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that doesn't mean anything else, and I'm sorry for the American listeners or someone else who's offended by the word slizzard. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not, so that's good. <laughs> I am just aghast that you would say that, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Daisy, welcome aboard. Now, I, I suppose I should probably spell out how this this uh, guest spot came to be a little bit. Now, um, mm-hmm. sure I think thing. we were talking over a year ago at this point. I, I think you actually moved somewhere that I I'm familiar with Clapham. there. So, um, that's, yeah, and I, and yeah. then we got on talking about spy mm-hmm. movies and I said, hey, we'd love to have you on at some point. Mm-hmm. And you said, spy kids too. <laughs> Just with no other... <laughs> No, that was it. No, That's the one context, you wanted. Explanation, nothing. I just said those words. <laughs> yeah, that was your only reply to me. I don't think you really want to talk to me that much. And then I was that was it. I haven't spoken to you since. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's 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 about sounds, the same as my usual like friendships. Me. To be fair, yeah. You yeah. actually blocked him. It made it very difficult <laughs> yeah. for us to track you down for this guest spot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and so finally, we got around to Spy Kids too. And so you know, we had to fulfil this. We had to have you on because you. you were so passionate. To just call that film out above Casino Royale, <laughs> above who? like the man who came in from the cold, <laughs> it's Spy Kids too. Mm-hmm. The one and only. Well, but you know, apart from that, we're glad you're here. You. Clearly, you have expertise on it that we need. <laughs> um, but tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? And tell us a bit about your podcast as well. Sure. So, as you know, my name's Daisy. Um, I have a podcast called W Rated, where me and my co-host and well, she she does the editing. She even like does the booking now. So I'm not sure I'm of any use. Uh, <laughs> um, Claire, um, we actually watch the bottom 100 rated films on IMDb. So clearly, we're gluttons for punishment. Um, but it's been a ride so far. Um, that's been a lot of fun. Um, I work in PR during the day, but I do some producing of short films outside of that. Um, and yes, a prolific Twitter user, <laughs> although terrible at answering DMs, clearly. <laughs> well, I, I have a question about your podcast, Tackling mm-hmm. the Bottom on IMDb. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great stuff there. We actually did an episode recently for our Patreon on Jaws the Revenge, which I think is still in the bottom 100. It as may have far as out. I'm aware, yeah, it is. And we've got a lot of interest for it. So we're keeping that for, for one of the special episodes, I think. That's like a home run booking one, yeah. yeah. I, I'm curious what some of the movies you've tackled on your podcast, like what were some of the most fun episodes you did? I think, and this sounds completely counterproductive, but one of the most fun was my most hated, just because it was just so cathartic to talk about, (laughs) was um, one of the parody films, Vampires Suck. It's made by the same guys that did like Date Movie and things like that, which we also did, it's absolutely terrible, um, which is basically a parody on Twilight. And I just didn't find what, maybe I had like one laugh. So it was just devoid of any kind of humor for me. But I guess Alex, thinks it is hilarious so it was just such an interesting and infuriating conversation to have and it just goes to show the the power and art of cinema i guess i'm not that you can call that cinema in my opinion but just how two people who watch the same film can have the complete opposite experience so that was a that was a fun one to cover 
I remember when those guys, was it Friedberg and Seltzer, I think? Yes. Yeah. yeah were making all of those movies. Did they, I think they did Date Movie. I only saw yeah. one. Date um, Movie is one that we did right at the beginning. We really set ourselves up with that one. Um, yeah. And it should be called Dated Movie because my God, all of the jokes are solidly stuck in the 2000s and have no... <laughs> no sense of humor attached to them anymore we were pretty offended by it to be honest <laughs> like all of their movies were just like here's a reference here's a reference yeah. like there was no actual joke it was just it was like just like whatever happened in that year it's like what <laughs> happens if a cow falls on iron man and you're like okay there you some have it people, like, some people want to know and they answered that question for them so you know <laughs> who am mm-hmm. i to judge i do I, ju- I judged a lot actually just goes to show there is some cinema for everyone basically yeah if you can yeah. call it that. <laughs> well, I, I wonder. I haven't checked the bottom 100, but I do wonder if one of our dinosaurs is missing is hidden down there somewhere. No way. It's in the middle somewhere? Not that I don't recognise the name. The thing is with the bottom 100, which is interesting because a lot of people um, sort of are quite surprised by some of them on there. Either some of the worst films that they've seen on, on there or some of the ones on there, they're like, surely that's not that bad. The way that they aggregate the score is based on it has to have over 10,000 votes so it has to be like a film of a certain popularity and um, right. anyone who is regularly rating on IMDb their vote their, their vote is like upweighted because you know they've got a bit more of a clout I guess in terms of um, you know just contributing to the site so it's an interesting algorithm that they've pulled together um, old IMDb but you know for the sake of having a laugh it works <laughs> yeah i don't think anything we've tackled on our show is on the bottom hundred mm. not the, i mean jaws the revenge being the only one with the patreon stuff that i can think of i mean that we have had some bad spy films but i i think daisy nailed it there basically it hasn't had enough fans i don't think mm. enough people have been on imdb to talk about remo williams or one of our dinosaurs is missing and nor should they <laughs> And even like uh, Taken 2 would be nowhere near the bottom 100. No, exactly. I think I think the highest rating that's on the bottom 100 is no higher than three stars out of 10. And even with like stuff that's like big blockbusters, you know it's pretty bad. You're always going to have the people that are like, I'm here for a good time. This is popcorn, like blockbuster. Like it will always be a lot more average than you would expect. It really has to be bottom of the barrel for it to get a be popular enough but be scored low enough it's an interesting mix do you find that the the films that get like review bombed like eternals had a rough ride do they end up in there sometimes yeah we've actually got um one that um claire's really keen to to watch because of that it's black christmas the remake that came out in 2019 and um yeah as far as i'm aware she said it got review bombed because it was an all-female remake or something like or it was very pro-feminism or something like that basically it pissed off a lot of chauvinists i guess um, i don't really know much about it but she's really intrigued to see if that really is the case and i guess talk about i guess it gives us a good opportunity to talk about the kind of you know review websites like imdb and whether they're or, you know you have the whole argument about rotten tomatoes and whether you should take that with a pinch of salt and things like that so i have seen that black christmas remake and yeah it is a very like feminist film but it tackles mm. its themes with the strength of a sledgehammer to the head. Like, so I can, <laughs> I can see why... I'm going to quote you. I, I'm going to quote you when we get to that episode. <laughs> I, I can see why a demographic of voters on IMDb would be particularly angry about it. I would, it would not make my bottom 100 by any stretch of the imagination, but I can see why that subsect would be um, mm-hmm. raging after watching it. 
okay that makes it i'm gonna i'm gonna nick that voice clip i think and then put that into the into the episode so a little credit goes to you there. awesome there awesome you for that one. that'll be my legacy <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know we've assembled two spy dudes and a spy dudette unless you want to just use dude as the plural for all of us we're all spy dudes here and cam i've already said the film but i'll ask you the question anyway what the hell are we talking about this week yeah we're talking about spy kids 2 island of lost dreams from the year 2002 daisy take it away <laughs> so we open with <laughs> i i would i would love to tell you that i could do that i think the only film i could probably do that with is shrek um <laughs> and do yeah. a, and do a, a dialogue line by line scene by scene breakdown um but yeah. as long as you gave us the smash mouth song at the end yeah yes yeah, sure. no i, I think need, we really. should bring in the song from this film you say oh. you don't like it but uh, i don't know it's a bit oh. of a banger to me okay um <laughs> Well, I think before we get into that, I I distinctly remember this film coming out. I liked the first one. I think I saw this one in cinemas too. And our family, our four brothers, some younger, some older, and we liked these films. So we had them on VHS or DVD. I can't remember what format, but we definitely watched these ones over and over again. So a lot of these scenes were just in my memory. I just saw it and I, I remember Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. I remember the dinosaurs. I thought they were a lot cooler back then than they <laughs> look now. <laughs> But I'm interested about about you two. So Daisy, what's your memory of the film? Yeah, I absolutely went to see this in the cinema. I'm not sure if I saw the first one. I definitely saw the second two. Um, yeah, with my family. And I just remember absolutely something just clicked with me. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so much fun. Um, I don't. I remember bringing in the first one to school. You know, when you have those days where they're like the teachers are so done and they're like just bring in a DVD. And we'll watch a DVD, wherever you want. And someone brought in Spy Kids and everyone went mental for it. I can't remember such love from my peers for the second one. Um, But (laughs) I know that I wore out that DVD for sure. I was just like, this, you know, three kind of dropped off in terms of quality for me, for for however old I was at the time. (laughs) But uh, number one and two were definitely on rotation. For a long time. I'm not even sure. I've got three little brothers. There's quite a bit of an age gap. I don't think. Maybe they did. Maybe they did watch it with me. But um, no. This for sure is like. Pure nostalgia for me. Rewatching these back. And I think I'll be a lifelong fan fan because of that. (laughs) So it's quite personal to you really. Like if you weren't sharing it with your siblings. Because they're a bit younger than you. That was kind of a film you picked up on. And held tight. It's something you liked. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No. I hadn't thought about it that way. I definitely. I mean. I don't know what ended up happening to my DVDs. But. Rebought them all three on Blu-ray recently, so <laughs> you know I've got that got that for life now. <laughs> we're funding more Spy Kids films, I think, by doing these reviews. We're we're creating more. I would love them to do. You know, for all the reboots and sequels that we've got going on, I would love for them to come back as adults and it be their kids. I would love that so much. <laughs> well, they do appear as adults in the fourth one. They do, but the less we talk about the fourth one, the better. Now that is on the bottom one hundred. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Wow. That. Okay. Sorry, John McHale. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, yeah, he's probably the best bit about it, to be honest. But that's because I absolutely love Community. He's basically Jeff in it. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we have a somewhat sentimental memory of it there, and then a very sentimental memory of it there, mm-hmm. and then we come to Cam. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> see, I'm a little bit older than both of you. I'm like Ricardo Montalban here. Um, mm. I'm just a, I'm Grandpa <laughs> swinging by. 
So when Spike Kids 2 came out, I was, what, 21 years old. Um, my friends and I weren't going to see Spy Kids 2. So I, I, I'd i seen the second <laughs> one on... <laughs> <laughs> this is the year of, like, Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings and what have you. So, yeah, I wasn't, like, that excited for Spy Kids 2. And I think... I'm guessing... Like, there's a very quick turnaround, Spy Kids 1 to 2... So I'm wondering... I was thinking that when you said the release year, actually. I didn't realise they were so close together. Yeah, so I'm even wondering, had I like seen the original Spy Kids when Spy Kids 2 was hitting theatres? It's quite possible not, because I saw Spy Kids on cable TV, like, um, you know, one of like the um, streaming movie channels back in the day. So I don't know if I'd even seen that one when Spy Kids 2 hit theatres. Like, so it was just such a fast turnaround, but... Yeah, I never saw it, period. I'm bothered. That's <laughs> the answer. Oh, this is your first time? Yeah, this is the first time I'd wow. ever seen Spy Kids 2, yeah. I would love to know what I would think about this film if I had no nostalgia attached to it, and I have a funny feeling that whatever Cam's going to say is probably that. <laughs> I think I'm looking through nostalgia-tinted glasses, but that's fine, it works for me. <laughs> hey, hey, me too, and I'm owning it. Let's let's, let's keep on that nostalgia ride, for because... Sure. Uh, you're going to need those highs when we talk about this letterbox.com synopsis. Boy, <laughs> is it a long one. Oh, God. Oh, no. <sighs> Here we go. Spy Kids 2, the island of lost dreams. Little Spy's big attitude. Exploring the further adventures of Carmen and Juni Cortez, who have now joined the family spy business as level 2 OSS agents. Their new mission is to save the world from a mad scientist living on a volcanic island populated by an imaginative menagerie of creatures. On this bizarre island, none of the Cortez's gadgets work, and they must rely on their wits and each other to survive and save dot 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 the day. That gives away the whole plot. <laughs> I didn't write it. I didn't write it. I, I, it wasn't as long as some of the other ones we come across, but I mean... I could take out about two sentences of that. Mm. I my toes curled at your pronunciation of menagerie. I'm, I'm no, I was obsessed. <laughs> I, I had to really lean into it because I don't know. I, I fe it felt right in the moment, guys. How dare you? How dare you? Um, okay, well, Cam, I have a lot of questions for you, but I kind of want to know. Do you know how to dance? Mm, no, I actually don't. I'm terrible at it. Oh. Well, there goes my entire set of lines. Why don't you just tell us how the film was made then? Okay. Um, so <laughs> as we established, like Robert Rodriguez, the writer-director of these films, rolled pretty much right into part two from part one. So behind the scenes details on this movie are like, there's not that much because it was just like reassemble the team, shoot the movie and we're done. Like they really cranked it out fast. But he said he envisioned this whole second movie while he was shooting the first. And he referred to the first one and said, basically... We had to make that movie so we could make this one, which means essentially he didn't necessarily want to make an origin film in the first place. He just knew he had to, to set everything up so that he could make this movie because he wanted to just do the big, crazy spy movie with effects and all sorts of stuff where we don't have to explain things. And I think when you look at this movie, like there's a lot less world building than there was in the first one. They can kind of just take off and run. And, um, he said he knew he wanted to make a Ray Har uh, Harryhausen adventure like Jason and the Argonauts. And it's impossible to watch this movie and not think of those mm -hmm. films, if you've seen them. Movies like Clash of the Titans, 
Jason and the Argonauts, obviously, the Sinbad films. That sort of inspiration is all over these movies. Um, so the production, he said it was just way easier than the first. Everyone was on the same page. They knew what they were doing. He was more comfortable, I think, handling the effects the second time through. And it was pretty easy. Um, he's, in terms of casting, Ricardo Montalban was cast after um, Rodriguez attended a screening of Wrath of Khan at a T Quentin Tarantino-hosted film festival in Austin, Texas. And watching Wrath of Khan, he was like, that is Grandpa. What a get for this film, <laughs> by the way. I know he's in a like he's in a wheelchair. He's 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 just but he's still delivering those lines. Um, but then again, you know how I feel about Wrath of Khan. And it would have just gone over all of the kids' heads. Like no no kid would know <laughs> what the I knew. Oh, did because you? Oh, well, you were a cool a Star kid. Trek fan. You were so cool I was kid. like, "That's Khan. He's on my uh... screen. He's in my kids' film." Um, and everyone else was like, "Shut up, Scott." I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, do you know why Montalban was in a wheelchair in this movie? I just assumed it was to do with like age or or illness. Well, he had really traumatic back problems, and so he'd mostly yeah. retired from the '90s onwards. And Rodriguez talked him into doing this movie, and basically said, "Don't worry about it. We're going to put you in a wheelchair and have you doing action things that way." So that's how they actually got Montalban on board. Works for me. <laughs> yeah, and this movie was the first Rodriguez movie shot entirely on HD digital video. Going forward, that's all he would want to use. He became a big proponent for digital video. And this happened because he went and visited George Lucas on the set of Attack of the Clones and was just so impressed with how Lucas was shooting that movie because Lucas was a pioneer of digital as well. And I think it's impossible to watch Attack of the Clones and not be won over by the style of that film. I was literally thinking, <laughs> Attack of the Clones influenced, inspired, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it does make sense. It, when you look at some of the, I, I know he did a lot of the CG work in this film. Rodriguez, I should say, pronouns, but it has that kind of sheen to it, that kind mm -hmm. of clean cleanliness that the the prequels had. I didn't like about it really. I preferred the more mm. lived-in universe you had in the originals. And yeah, me too. Kind of the sequels. Yeah, so he just was really impressed with how quickly the turnaround is with using digital cameras because um, Rodriguez is a guy who likes to move really fast with his productions. So using film almost doesn't make sense for him. Mm. And so he decided to test out this HD footage actually on the first Spy Kids. He did a couple of reshoots um, for the first Spy Kids, a couple of scenes here or there, and shot those on HD video and was won over. And so this movie was shot entirely on HD video, which I think I will be touching back on when we talk about the effects integration, which there is a bit of a difference between one and two, I noticed. Um... As for the budget, $38 million, so he just a tiny little bit over the first one. Um, he said, you know, the, the second one was greenlit very quickly after the first one opened, and he really didn't want that much more money. He just said he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. Make it big, make it crazy, just don't essentially box him into what the sequel should be. And so, as I said, $38 million budget. Domestically, it did 85.8. International, 33.9 for a worldwide total of 119.7. So, not bad. Not bad for a kid's film. Well, I mean, kid's films <laughs> can make more money than anything. Usually when you look at top tens now, it's all kid's films. How was that compared to the original, just out of interest? I'm glad you asked, Daisy. So, <laughs> the original... <laughs> you told me to ask that earlier. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
the original um, made 147.9. So this was actually a downgrade of $30 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a, that's a shame. I thought it would have built off that that sort of fan base there. But maybe... how? When did the first one come out? Was it 2001? Yeah. So this is a year turnaround. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if that's actually why it might have made less. Because they typically say the magical number for sequels is two years to three and I wonder if when you just throw out another one, one year later, after you've already gone through the promotional cycle of one, the home video promotional stuff, that parents see a you know, commercial for Spy Kids 2 and are like, we just did this. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a very important thing. And not just home video, but also uh, playing on television and things like that. And I, I think me and Daisy can probably connect on this one, not so much can, but you think about Sky Movies or something like that. This film played all the time. Yeah. The first one, certainly. So it was just on, on like kids' channels. You don't need to pay money, like a whole family's worth of cinema tickets and God knows what else it costs when they could just have it on TV, the first one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There were certain people that went to cinema, of course, and seen it, but there was a massive generation of people that saw it on home video, I imagine. Kids. And if they've just seen the first one, because at that point, it's like a year things to come out on home video. It wasn't like now where it's six weeks. Yeah. So maybe they just didn't know, they didn't want to watch a sequel to a film they hadn't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because kids don't necessarily race out and rent it the week it hits video shelves. Like it's up to your parents ultimately when you see things. There were so many movies as a kid that I didn't see till much later just because my parents either didn't take us to it or just didn't rent it for us, you know, immediately. And I remember a bit, maybe a parallel for more my age group but the first Ninja Turtles movie comes out in 1990, and that was like, you know, a massive, massive hit. That was like a phenomenon for my generation. <laughs> and Ninja Turtles 2 came out one year later, and it made less than the first one, which you would think, coming off the absolute insanity of the 1990 movie, the 91 one would have done at least equal, mm. and it didn't. So. Yeah, because you've not got that breathing room. I thought you were going to say Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> Gone with the wind, yeah. My parents wouldn't rent it. Oh, boy. (laughs) But maybe there's a lesson, too, though, because Ninja uh, Ninja Turtles 3 came out two years after the second one and made, like, no money. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like a strike while the iron's hot when it comes to kids' stuff. There's a a musical parallel I could make here, but it's very nerdy, so I probably won't go into it. But, yeah, I've seen this happen before. Yeah, you can't tease it and then just be like, no, never mind, never mind. (laughs) <laughs> all right, well, I've already out... I mean, you guys know I'm already a Trekkie, so I-, I might as well keep making myself even weirder. So I really love the 80s pop group Men at Work. Okay. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, see? Selling it for these two. But, okay, they had their first album, Business as Usual. It won Grammys, it won all kinds of awards. Great album. They released their second album the year afterwards. To make matters worse, because these are this is an Australian band, they yeah. released them in Australia, they moved to America... They released both albums within months of each other. Oh, why would you do that? And then no one wanted to hear from them because they had two albums out. It was Too all much. over the shop. Yeah. <laughs> and then they waited three years for the next one and no one bought the third album at all. Huh. So they went from Grammy Award winning uh, to nothing in three years. The worst release strategy I've ever heard in my life. Oh, it, it's a, yeah. A the, mess. <laughs> it, absolute mess. It's a shame because they're all good albums. But anyway. Back well, to Spy Kids. <laughs> I, I now have a question about Men at Work. I know very little about Men at Work. Um, mm. Did they have an ongoing long career or did they burn out? 
they broke up on the third album. Oh, wow. They, it was so bad because of, well, there was a lot of problems behind the scenes. The lead singer, Colin Hay, who I'm a big fan of, I've seen on tour several times. Um, he kind of went a bit mental with the whole, like, he won a bunch of Grammys and he was on, like, uh, you know, all the talk shows every all, every week and stuff. And it went to his head. So he, like, fired half the band and oh. then hired session musicians. And I think there was a lot of drugs and drink involved. And basically, the band imploded during the creation and release of the third album. And now he just tours by himself. There is no Spy Kids 2 podcast out there that features information on Men at Work. You're welcome, <laughs> listeners. This is the USP of this episode. <laughs> There's just one person listening going, I really love Men at Work too. Yes, Scott, go on. <laughs> or probably not, actually. It's important to reach those people, you know? Yeah, I'm doing yeah. it for you guys. We're doing it in a land down under. Yep. <laughs> so um, Spy Kids 2 was number 39 for the year at the Worldwide Box Office. Right between the Roman Polanski film The Pianist and the Richard Gere Diane Lane film Unfaithful. That's a that's a strange sandwich there. Yeah. Strange sandwich. Strange sandwich. Bit of a weird uh, collection. Uh, the uh, top three for the year: number one was Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Number two was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and number three was Spider Man. Um, this was also the massive year of spy films. Uh, we talked about it just recently with Triple X. So I'm not going to delve into it, but there was like eight other spy films that came out this year. And Spy Kids fell fell kind of closer to the front. Um, you know, Die Another Day stood the tallest at number six. But the list was long and we actually had Antonio Banderas popping up in the lowest ranked one at number 144. Ballistic X versus Sever. That's on the bottom 100? Yes! There's a spy film on there! Mm. So it's all, hey. it's all coming out now. <laughs> there we go. I smell a future guest yeah. spot coming up. Oh, and that's it. That's it. I like it. Well, Cam, I think we're finally here. It's getting a bit floopy around here. So I think we should maybe, you know, let's play it straight. I need to know. 2021. Daisy, what do you think about Spy Kids 2? You are our expert, of course. Yeah, um, Spy Kids 2 correspondent. Yeah. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's your new title. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's what I've always wanted. I still love it because, I, like I said, I've got these nostalgia tinted glasses on. I think it's a hell of a lot of fun. I have to probably give a little bit of context in terms of like what my thoughts are on the first film. I think it's so underrated as not only a kids slash family film, but just a film in general. Like I've spoken about it on a podcast before, and I just think it as a it does so much well as an actual film. And I know you guys have spoken about like the CGI, and now all of a sudden I'm like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I let that go over my head, but I just think the way it's crafted and what it does is incredible. So the fact that um, Robert Rodriguez said um, that he was he did that to make this one, I'm really shocked at because in terms of like, this feels like a bit more of a IP money-making sequel than the heart of the first one. So I'm really surprised that it, and that's how he views, views them. But to be honest, still in the way that I guess now it makes sense that they, it was filmed straight afterwards, I really do feel like this is a, a like an immediate continuation. Like, you haven't got that thing where suddenly the kids are like five years older and we're pretending that they're only a year older and things like that. The sort of, the the chemistry's still there between all the family. You've got everyone that's come back. Some of them are in much smaller parts, of course, but then you've got really great secondary characters come in um, and a, a stacked cast and to be honest, <laughs> weirdly enough, not stacked as the third one, which is uh, 
which is a, not a great film, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but no, I absolutely loved, love it. And I think it's great. And I really like, in, if we're going to talk about this, the CG, the fact that they he did go more towards the Harryhausen um, route because that is so much more stylistic and sort of a love letter to animation in a way that's not, I'm going to try and make this look really good, but actually it looks a bit bad because we've done it on the cheap and I'm not actually a special effects supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but you still like it oh my god yeah no i still love it i could still quote it yeah standard you may have to later oh i will don't worry. no you've been warned <laughs> okay no no works for me well, i think we're gonna craft a review sandwich here because i know what i'm gonna say so i'm gonna put cam in the middle yeah i i guess my review of the first one is uh, scott's really presenting as somewhat legendary at this well, point um, i think the first was a really nice just <laughs> yeah a pleasant nice film and you were like Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm 14. I don't like kids' films. I, think... blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I thought the sequel in some ways is superior to the original and in some ways falls behind the first one. I think it's actually mixed in that regard where there was elements of it that I was like, oh, this is really working. And I thought some of the growing pains for like the kid actors, they felt so locked in this time. I felt like the first one... You know, they're kind of learning the terrain. When you're working with Rodriguez, it's all green screen. So it felt sometimes with the first one, it was two kids being put in a situation that like mm. adults struggle with. You hear all the time about adult actors just dying doing like the Star Wars prequels in front of green screen. Here, it felt like the kids knew exactly how to operate in the Rodriguez kind of, you know, filmmaking style. And just the dynamics between the two of them felt much sharper. And just the world building that he had going on here, I really enjoyed. The whole Harryhausen setup and this adventure kind of quest element. Um, where, and I'll actually also will say the effects for me worked a lot better this time in terms of like the set pieces. It just felt like, I'm just wondering if it was the digital transition he made that just the effects blended better into digital filmmaking versus blending very wonky digital effects with film. I wonder if that was part of the problem with the first one, at least for me. So th those were all pluses. Um, with the second one, I felt like at a certain point, the pacing didn't quite deliver the way the first one did. The first one is very fast paced and punchy and it flies by in 90 minutes. Whereas this one, there was a little bit of a saggy section when we meet up with Busemi and we're kind of just waiting to get to where we're going. And also... This movie tries to do a lot. It has a little bit of that sequelitis of like the first one had a core message about the importance of family. You've got the kids trying to save their parents. That's a great, you know, core for a kid's movie. Whereas here you had a lot of things going on. You've got kind of like a romance going on. You've got the parents off on their own side story and then also trying to win the approval of, you know, um, um, uh, Carlo Gugino's parents, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, I think thematically we don't have as well-defined a core, but everyone's kind of having so much fun that it doesn't drag the movie down. Because like when you look at a movie, say like Spider-Man 3, which is also doing a lot and has that sort of sequelitis, it gets dragged down energy-wise. I didn't really feel that here. Well, just to put you on the spot, comparing to the first one, do you think this is a better film, Cam? I, I don't... I'm going to really have to mull that one over because I think in some ways, no, because I think the first one is so propulsive that for a kid, and I've sat and watched movies, you know, with my friend's kids, their attention span is really short. And I'm talking kids, you know, in the five, six, seven kind of age group. And 
I think they would sit through that first one much easier than they would sections of part two. So I, I wonder as like a young kid's entertainment, if two is inferior because it just feels a little more drawn out. It doesn't have that rapid fire energy of the first. Yeah, I... I, I set it up like I was going to give this a nice fluffy ending as, as a sandwich, as I said, but there is a slight twinge of disappointment in my review, which is surprising because I have really fond memories of this film and I have fond memories of the, the sort of monsters on the island and all that sort of stuff. But it just feels like I, I acknowledge that there's like a, a boggy bit in the middle. I think as soon as Bashemi turns up, which I love seeing Bashemi, great quotable lines, but... That whole it just sags as soon as they get to the island until the ending bit. Then the energy picks up again. <laughs> it's interesting because I I think like it's more ambitious than the first one, but in terms of digital, as you point out to us now, Cam, I didn't notice that. But I knew it looked better on the screen. I think like it, the colors popped more, the world felt better. You, know, you look at like, the OSS building; that's insane. You didn't see that sort of stuff in the first one. Although I I do wish that my front doors were spelled OSS. <laughs> That's a great design. And you had to hop on the letters to get to your desk. Yes. You know? <laughs> that seems like a death trap. <laughs> that seems like the most unproductive, inefficient office layout I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I, I just want to see a scene where he gets up to it and then it's just like, Donegan to reception, Donegan. To, and he just goes, oh, okay. And then hops back down them again. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jumps off. <laughs> Sod it. Um, but like, I I had a weird disconnect in this film. I felt like uh, it's missing the antagonism between the brother and sister, which I seem to have remembered being throughout. It isn't the start of the film because she has the hots for the Gary Giggles character. <laughs> um, but which is uh, that's fine. But they're not really like fighting each other as much. And I found a lot of the joy in the first Charm one with that because I have siblings. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They, they, I mean, like they're saying stuff to each other, but they're working as more of a team now against the other spies. And I, I think I missed that charm. It's a good word, Daisy. Thank you. And I, I also think like much as the digital has upgraded, some of it actually stood out to me more in this film than it did the first one. Like, there's the scene where they're fighting the skeletons on the rock face. That just looked like something mm. I could probably render on my 10-year-old laptop. And it just... It kind of looks like they've layered... You could literally, like, lift up. You know, like, when you see Disney animators, yeah. like, with the the sort of purse bits, like, you could literally, like, lift it up and see how it's been layered on. Yeah. Which is a shame. because. But I feel like there's a little bit of charm to it. But then I think if that's, again, because it's like, that's how I always knew it to be. If you're watching this off the bat and saying is this a good film i do feel like that would be quite jarring seeing seeing it that like that yeah it, it definitely dates it to 2002 and that's a shame go on cam yeah that whole sequence is probably the most um jason and the argonauts moment in the entire film so it often feels like they're trying to replicate the Harryhausen actual sequence and that one you're working with stop motion which also has a little more of a physical weight to it um whereas when you have cg here i I get totally what you mean like it does feel a little more cartoony Mm. than it probably was intended to just because cartoons you know cg animation doesn't have the weight that a physical model that you're moving around does so it didn't bother me because i can't say when i watch jason and the argonauts now and i only watch it maybe like i've seen it a few times but i watch it maybe like three or four years ago 
the sequence doesn't necessarily look flawless now when you watch Jason the Argonauts, no. but there is a fun to it. And I think they managed to capture the fun, if not quite Definitely. the technical uh, prowess that, you know, you had in the original Argonauts. Yeah, I, I think this film has just lost a little bit of the charm of the first one. And that's, it's still got the, like you say, the dynamics in the family, the inclusion of the grandparents is great. I like the world building of the OSS. That's nice to know that there's more to it. You've got the opposite spies, the president's daughter. Shooter McGavin is the president. That's <laughs> priceless in itself. It means we've lost George Clooney as the president. <laughs> well, apparently he comes back. Apparently this is the only Spy Kids film he isn't in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's in the third one. Like, blinking, you'll miss it, Cammy, I believe, if I remember rightly. Maybe he was actually behind a black bar the whole time. We just couldn't. Yeah, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the one, the letterbox I decided, like. Yeah, yeah exactly. He was there, but we'll never know. <laughs> well, you could tell Rodriguez has these low budgets because he shoots a lot of these adult actors in probably like two or three days. <laughs> because like, there's a lot of people popping up. You know, Cheech Marin shows up, for example, and you could have shot his scenes in like two days, and that happens a lot through Spy Kids too. And I noticed just like the parents feel less used in this one than the first one. And I would have, that's kind of, to me, one of the real strengths of the first one is that the core dynamic of the four of them. And I did miss that here. I, I also thought that and wrote it down. But I, it's interesting because in the first one, it's the parents then get captured by Fugl, Fugl, Fugl's Floop for Alan Cummings. That's his full name. Yeah. Um, they get captured by Alan Cummings, and then the, the, our spy kids rescue them. Whereas this is the other way around. The spy kids are the ones who get lost, and the parents go to save them. And you would think that's a nice twist on it, but for some reason they just get lost in the shuffle. It's, it, they spend a lot of time on the the submarine or whatever you want to call it to find the kids. Yeah. And it it makes sense, Campbell, what you're saying. like They probably blocked all of their stuff in one go. And I imagine in the original script, they had them in different places and like getting on the island in front of them, and then they just went, that's too much money. That's too much time. They've got other stuff to do. This is a sequel. Let's just do it all on this one. And it makes me wonder, is that interesting to kids? Like that whole subplot? I wouldn't say it's... I think there's some really funny jokes in there, but I'm talking about like watching it when like I got a bit older and was like sort of like, uh, like a tween. Like I found it quite... I don't think like proper young kids would care at all about that subplot especially because it's stuck in one green screens you know set ultimately i think that's a really interesting question there's something we didn't really explore in the first one but a, a, a kid's film to me has to work not only for kids but for the adults that take them mm -hmm. and i think the first one delivered ultimately I think the second as a family has... film i think it works so well the first one yeah the second one has those jokes like you say with the parents like when they're trying to find the kids and ricardo montalban's like oh you know i you, I'd do this. Yeah. It's like shut up, grandpa, yeah. and da, da, da. we've all we've all had overbearing parents. We all understand that, but I I don't think they play it up as much in this one. I don't think there's as many jokes for adults. It's more for the kids, and I think maybe that's why I bumped on it this time. Also, when you look at the first one, you do spend time with the parents when they're in Floop's, you know, prison and whatever, and their escape. There's a lot of like visual trickery going on to make it seem kind of exciting like if you're, if you're a young kid you probably don't care that much mm. about the parents but you're watching them deal with like death traps and jump over gaps in the floor and stuff like that yeah they have loads of gadgets and stuff so there's a lot of like just traveling in this one there's some great gadgets but the first yeah. one is like 
overwhelming with gadgets that it was there was and I think the pace helped as well like you said Cam like there was always something going on and even when it was these subplots that they probably don't care about there was some visual like they had like the laser that oh was it like a when they captured them they had the, the crayon that was like an uh that melted the bars and things like that. there's always these little things that kids will go oh god that's so cool I want that whereas it doesn't seem to happen as much in this one and I wonder if part of that is the first one is so much a spy film mm-hmm. It really wants to embrace that world of James Bond style, you know, kind of cartoonish spy action. Whereas this one, it follows more of a adventure film sort of mode, which one of the things about adventure movies is it's a lot of traveling. It's a lot of walking. You you know, you have characters um, referencing Lord of the Rings in this movie, (laughs) and it's like those movies, a lot of it is about the journey. And so we spend a lot of time with the characters exploring this island we have the parents journeying to the island it's not like a connected series of set pieces the way the first one was i i will say about the the gadgets i i did really want to get on board with the gadgets but you know when the main gadget of the film is a hairband and i don't have any hair anymore it really hurts me (laughs) and also the plot is that their gadgets don't work (laughs) yeah for the bulk of the the runtime so i kind of just clocked that that's I understand the point of it, but it kind of taken away half the fun by doing that. A Good, little bit. Kids want gadgets. We we yeah, like, we liked that's... having those things, it's toys that we yeah. played with. Um, I will probably close out my review just by actually reading someone else's review, and that is uh, <laughs> Marianne Johansson, who actually joined us recently on the show. I I stumbled upon her her top line review, and it actually made me laugh, and it kind of summed up what I thought. It's bigger, it's dumber, it's more obvious. It's less fun. It's a sequel. <laughs> Where's the lie? <laughs> we should say, though, Spy Kids 2 was fairly well reviewed. Um, the Spy Kids franchise would face much harsher reviews in the future, <laughs> but at this point, critics did genuinely seem to enjoy part two most of the way across the board. I think the first one is like a 90-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think this one had a 70s. So. I can believe that. I can believe that. But let's let's pivot into the good stuff. Let's talk about what we like. So, Daisy, you're the guest. You'll go first. Give us a thing you liked about the film. Well, I just, I just, I just like, <laughs> I just find it so comforting to watch. I yeah, from uh, the whole film. Okay, till, yeah. Well, I mean the credits, the song. Yes. Do you realize? I'm just trying to think. Can I just can can I just touch this? Because I actually really like this end bit. So you said it was out in 2002? Yeah. So I would have been eight when this came out. And um, I think as an eight-year-old, I was obsessed with Carmen. Like, I was like, I want to be her. So, like, from from the years that I then had it on DVD, like, I just loved that little section because I was just like, right, you've got the the cool spy girl who's now a pop star. This is amazing. What a role model for me, she says at the age of 12. And I just thought the song was really catchy. But that aside, I think that I really like the characters of Carmen and Junie. And I think that is because of the age that I watched these at. And I know you mentioned with the first one about like, you didn't necessarily like agree on whether the performances were good. I'd be intrigued to find out what you think about this one. But for me, I just found them so relatable. And it was so cool to see them doing stuff in both films that was just like, oh, they're doing stuff that I'm usually watching, like, adults doing. They're making it fun. They're making it accessible. And I really did like the... That's why I do feel like it's missing a little bit in this one in terms of, like, the 
them riff off each other but then they do have that with Gary and Gertie and I was also obsessed with the fact that Gertie's hair span when I was a kid uh so it's just I think for me now watching it the main thing that I love is that level of comfort because I knew as a kid I like really related to it and it like just made do you know what it is it, it makes you feel like especially at the age that I was when I was watching it I was just like oh this is like an adult film for kids this isn't like you know we all love like the Pixars and everything which is sure. a family mm-hmm. film together I felt like I wasn't being talked down to and I was being told like you can enjoy like these kinds of films as well and they're really cool and like you want everything that's on screen and stuff for me I think I do prefer the first one um so there is going to be a few things that drop off with this one but just the fact that you know they've got such great cast in this like steve buscemi like come on (laughs) in a film called spy kids 2 island of lost dreams we have him saying (laughs) i wanted to get the quote right so i brought it up can i i'm gonna oh no it's gone but what he says, like, it's just, this is way too serious. I know, I know exactly the quote you're going to say. Do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he's created here on earth? If you said that to someone and said, what film is that from? Do you think anyone would know that that is from Spy Kids 2 Island of Lost Dreams? I sat up in my chair when he said that. I was like, you know what? This is what happens, though, when you get kind of a renegade filmmaker making kids' movies. He's going to inject ideas that a, you know, team of Disney writers would be like, don't say that. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Maybe that's why it connected to me, because it was like, it's not talking down to me. It's not cutting out these... It's bringing together sort of the, the stuff that I... And I think... What's good about this is it does change up the genre a little bit, as you say, kind of, there's a little bit more of an adventure side. So it was nice that I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting another chance. The first one was more spy. This one's a bit more adventure, but it's not dumbing it down for me. It's not, you know, the kids' stuff is silly, but the adult stuff is, I get it, and I, like, I laugh at it too. So I don't know. I just think it, it it's great that someone like him didn't hold back because he was like, I'm making a film that's for kids. It's more that... He's making a film that's appropriate for kids and that kids would like. But ultimately, I think anyone can really enjoy it. It's just a shame that I think there's a bit dated, so it does take you out of enjoying it if you haven't seen it before when you were younger, maybe. I, I remember an anecdote. I posted it on our Instagram, but I didn't mention it in the Spy Kids episode that when they were uh, doing the first one, um, Robert R- uh, Rodriguez took um, Alexa Vega to see Mission Impossible 2. Ah. And... Um, he kept saying to her, you're going to beat that guy. You're going to beat that guy. And he was trying to essentially create a competition between her and Tom Cruise because he said he did not want he- her to compete against children. Mm. He wanted her to come across on screen as an action hero, every bit as believable as what a Tom Cruise could do or any other you know, spy actor. You know, Vin Diesel's playing Triple X the year this movie comes out. So like the same yeah. thing, like she's on equal footing as a Vin Diesel as well. Yeah. And I think that, as you say, that definitely came across in terms of like, it's just nice to have those role models for kids. They weren't, you know, they were out there saving the day, like the first one was saving the parents. This time they're, you know, they're hacking into the, <laughs> in the first five minutes, I think she hacks into the Pentagon by like 
<laughs> on her mum's like computer, which is just so. There's something so kitsch about some of these gadgets, like because like we're what how many years on from it now, and like the the parents sort of like computers at their desks, and the mum's is like all makeup, and I'm like I'm not even mad about it, you know. <laughs> this is there's a little, there's something there's something fun about this still, even if it feels really dated. And um, but yeah, as you say, like because they've set up it to be this isn't I wouldn't say a kid's film kids acting in a kid's film it's about what they're doing and what you know and I think you said uh, obviously in the first one it is a love letter to spy films is not taking the piss out of them or being like look at us we're in a spy film again I don't think that that attitude is in this one at all either so that's really nice to just it's just really sincere but also knows it's having fun which is the best of both worlds I completely agree. And you can tell Buscemi is being sincere when he delivers that immortal line. Sure. I actually wrote it down myself because it's a great quote. So I, might even just, I might change my Twitter bio to that just for the sake oh of it, God. really. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to sort of wind back to your bringing up the uh, end credits music. Because <laughs> I'm not going to let that escape. I, I will actually just say, the reason why I'm chastising it is because it's been in my ear for over a day... I keep asking myself, who, what, where, when, and why do I delight in? And it, <laughs> mm, it's there. But I, I do remember there was a karaoke version on the DVD. There was! There was! Oh, my God. What a So what a I flashback. can imagine. I, I, I was 15 when this film came out. It's a tiny bit of difference here. Kind of in the middle of you two then. And I was in my full grunger phase at that point. You know, I was, I was black, black hair dye. I was going for it. There's no way I was going to be singing this song. But if I was eight, and at eight I loved the Spice Girls, and I still do, and I would be loving this song too. So yeah. it crosses boundaries. It's a catchy little tune. Mm-hmm. And I also love the gadget that she has, which makes means you can sing in different languages like this. Brilliant. Not sure about that dancing belt though. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has a limit, and that, that, that was the day. I, uh, this, uh, normally, I, when we cover movies, I watch them the night before or something like that. And this one, I didn't have time, so I had to watch it this morning. So it was like a crawl out of bed, make breakfast, and sit and watch Spy Kids 2. <laughs> That's my weekly routine. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> sure. I'm sitting there, though, watching this dance number, forty years, 41 years old, just like, <laughs> what is my where How did am I, I get here? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, like <laughs> is this all there is? <laughs> oh, is this cinema? <laughs> well, it's not in the bottom one hundred, so it's, it's got to be doing okay. It's certainly not, and it shouldn't be. It feels like the sole moment for me. And look, it's a credit sequence, so I'm not gonna hold anything against the movie either way about it. But um, it feels like the sole moment to me that is like entirely for the kids like i think a l- most of the adults in the room are just like mentally checked out during this whole sequence but whatever i i can get along with it yeah i wonder if they were like yeah let's go i can't have this in my head and i bet you parents all over the world were singing that song <laughs> especially especially when eight-year-old daisy was playing it on karaoke version for the tenth time in a row and oh my god my poor dad i need to ask him and see if he remembers it actually i'm sure that he does just send him the song and see what he oh replies. Oh my god, I should, just shouldn't I? Just no other context. Yeah, just, just straight song. up, just DM it, and then if he replies with a furious emoji, you know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he'll send you a video back of him singing it. 
like just that acapella. would be great that would be great i'm down that's great <laughs> um well cam what about you something you uh something you really enjoyed about the film well, I wanted to just touch briefly on just the dynamic between Carmen and um, Junie in this one that I actually liked how they evolved it where Carmen is getting older. She's noticing, you know, this boy, Gary, and has a crush on him. She has a line that's a little cringy about, I can fix him or something like that. You're like, Ugh. Oh my God, that's Ugh. so funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> Definitely written by adults, yeah. that line, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, just the fact that like, we now see she's getting a little bit older, but Junie is still young. And so you have the more that divide by yeah. age. And I actually think that was a really interesting thing to delve into and in how at the end of the day, she does choose, you know, her brother versus someone who's more her peer. So I thought in terms of evolving a dynamic, I actually really liked that about this movie. I thought it was very effective. Um, as for just what I enjoyed, honestly, the world building, just this entire island of creatures and just how it as an adult, you know, it, it created fun for me where they introduced some of the uh, some of the creatures, you know, the spider monkey and what have you. But there'd be other ones they didn't name that I would be sitting there trying to figure <laughs> out what they would be I called as they're, you know, flying across the screen. I was like, all of them are visually really interesting. Robert Rodriguez has a really quirky style. You know, he created the thumb thumbs for the <laughs> first one. And this feels like he's continuing that sort of evolution. I love the magnet men in this movie. I thought that was a ton of fun. But... There was like one creature where it was the pig that flew mm -hmm. and I was staring at that going, what is that called? Now I wrote down pigeon as in combo oh, of pig and pigeon. That's good. And then, and then they said spork and I oh. was like, well, you <laughs> see, out. much simpler. That's why he's a genius and oh. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about the name spork. I think I prefer your version. Thank you. Thank you. Spigeon's so, wittier, I think. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I just loved how if you're going to make an adventure movie for kids, we've seen a lot of adventure movies, I'm sure between the three of us, where there's kind of like one set piece or something that you're like, yeah, that was okay. And then there's not a lot there. Whereas here, despite having like no money, he's just filling up this island with so many original creatures uh -huh. and sequences, you know, battles between these, um, you know, beasts and then the skeleton stuff. So I just really appreciated that he went all out. If he's going to make a Harryhausen tribute, he's going to make a full on one. Even like the bit where they go into like, I don't know if it's like a tomb or, or something and they can hear each other's thoughts. It's yeah. just like so like off book like just a lot of fun and just it's just this little set piece you don't it doesn't get referenced again it doesn't amount to anything for the plot but it just gives them something to do as brother and sister that maybe sort of contributes to the the character development a little bit more you know bringing them closer together because as you say i think where they you know that that age difference means that they're probably pulling apart a little bit the whole thing is like how can we bring them back together they're not they're not arguing as much they're not sort of like fighting and you know bickering between each other but maybe they don't understand each other as much anymore either so i thought it was those little things little nice touches i thought yeah it has a good you know sort of sense of like the importance of like communication between family mm. um there's i think lessons to draw from kids i just don't think they're as well refined as the first one which really established its core lesson it was teaching kids whereas here you've got multiple going on at the same time I think the only thing I would shout out that we haven't mentioned already is, I mean, Cam mentioned the world building. I want to mention the practical world building. We're talking the actual sets they used here. I mean, there are some green screen usage and I'm not a big fan of that, but like the dragonfly interiors, some of the interiors of the OSS building that wasn't CG created, very practical, like the doors I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. I imagine they were real doors and 
it just added to the world and it made it feel uh, maybe a little bit shiny, but also just kind of cool. And this is a kid's film. It felt cool. You wanted to work in it with Antonio Banderas in that office. What about the treehouse? The treehouse is so good. The treehouse. Oh, that yes, treehouse so badly. Still do. I, 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 my, my favorite scenes in the film, uh, I should have mentioned earlier when we were talking about the two, but like when they, when um, Junie gets fired and he goes up into the treehouse and he goes, yeah, well, at least I'll have time to work on my, my projects. And it's like, I feel like that as an old man now. <laughs> how, how dare this kid have that problem at 10? <sighs> They did a little um, sort of uh, foreshadowing to three in that scene mm. where he goes, oh, maybe I'll set up my own detective agency. And she's like, don't think so small, Junie. <laughs> that was a little that was a little nice touch I hadn't noticed noticed as much before. I, well, at this rate, I imagine number three comes out in the yeah. 2003. Yeah, it does. Does it actually? Oh, yeah. Oh. Wow. I mean, that's maybe, maybe, wait, maybe where they went wrong, to be honest. Yeah. Even more okay. impressive. So 2003, Spy Kids 3 comes out. Also, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Rodriguez fired out two movies the next year. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. Wow. That's a uh, tip my hat to the guy. Well done. Productivity yeah. uh, is finest. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like Mr. 10 Jobs on the set as well. It's not like he's just directing and then like, cut, see you later, I'm going to the mm-hmm. bar. Uh, Yeah, okay. Fair play. Well, yeah, but so I said about the, the the practical sets were fantastic, and we are looking to speak to one of the assistants who worked on the film who had a lot to do with the practical sets as well for one of our interviews, either with this or or the third film. So look out for that as well. That's in the works currently. But like, also the gadgets were kind of cool. The, the ones that we did have, not that we really got to see them in action. The the wristbands and all that sort of stuff. The the hand climbing things in the start mm-hmm. of the film in the troublemaker. Uh, Great theme park, piece. which was a bit of a nice nod there, wasn't it, to his own his own film studio? Yeah, that's quite mm-hmm. cute. Yeah, I actually was more impressed by the magnet stuff than I was by the gadgets. That whole sequence where you have the guys all sticking to the bottom of the <laughs> ship and flying away, I was like, "That's really cool." Well, you're a guy who never is seen without a hat on, so you kind of got those guys. <laughs> I did, yes, yes. Also, I'm a big fan of the ICP, who, of course, wondered how do magnets work. Spy Kids Two tells you. Yeah, there you go. Miracles. <laughs> Miracles. Miracles, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I suppose we'll we'll dive onto maybe some quibbles we have uh, that we haven't mentioned already. Um, I'll, I'll just throw it in. Some of the green screen work was irritating for me. Like, it, it brought me out of it. I'm sure as a kid, I loved it. And I'm sure I did. But watching it again as an adult, and especially if you're an adult in the cinema with your kids when this came out in 2002... I think you could probably see through a lot of it, and I think that's annoying. I, I don't know. Like to me, most of the green screen stuff was more effective in this movie than the first one. So it felt like they were really refining. Like here's the thing: Spy Kids Two does not look, say, visually on par with, you know, Spider Man, which came out the same year. Like it just sure. visually isn't as impressive. But um, it felt like to me, it didn't jut out and seem jarring in the way that the first one sometimes did this one it blended together even if i am looking at it going okay like clearly that's cg or that's a green screen it just felt like it belonged more within the world like i just think rodriguez nailed down exactly what his world should look and feel like with this one more so and i wonder if it's because it's set in a in a mythical setting that it kind of blends a little bit more in terms of whereas the other one you're it's like wherever they live and then you know going to floops castle or whatever but 
that's super cartoony. And then you've got, yeah, like re- sort of like real world scenarios where you've got the jetpacks and, and whatnot. And then you've got a super cartoony thing. This feels like it's kind of like you're in that world. You've kind of, maybe there's a little bit more of a suspension of disbelief in terms of, oh, I'm in a mythical place. I'm expecting to see things that I wouldn't usually expect to see. Whereas if you're looking at the first spikers, you're like, and have seen versions of jetpacks and whatnot since that have been done a lot better and look real. Maybe that's why it looks a bit schlocky in the first one. Maybe I should have, uh, maybe I should have tempered my expectations when I saw a slizzard on the screen, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But Daisy, what about you? Uh, Maybe a quibble you have. Yeah, I think, as I mentioned before, I just don't think it's as, as tight as the first one in terms of being like a whole heartwarming story um, from beginning to end where I really feel like them. And I'm so shocked what you said about Robert Rodriguez is like, yeah, I just wanted to get that one out of the way to, <laughs> to make this one. It seems so bizarre because that one seems so much more full of heart and a proper sort of homage to the spy genre and just everything about it seems really thought out. Um, and this one, I feel, as much as I like it, does seem like a, a quickly done, let's get it into theatres and, and make a bit more money. And of course, there's, you know, I'm not saying it's a heartless, heartless cash grab at all, but m- more so it feels cheaper and kind of more, oh, where can we put them next? What can we do next? Who else can we bring in? Oh, let's have another version of them who are blonde and evil. Uh, <laughs> um, with other kids you know it's always that it's that sequelization of m- more bigger better quotes doesn't ever seem to you know more often than not it isn't, it isn't better it's just they've spent more money but maybe lost a bit of heart and it kind of falls a bit flatter I personally still love it and I think it benefits from it being done straight afterwards in terms of the performances and the cast but maybe if they hadn't rushed into it, they could have taken their time a little bit more on. Because I know you said like there seems to be a bit of a dip in the middle of the story. And I think I've pinpointed why that is for me. Is that obviously they they discover Steve Buscemi's character right in the middle. And to me that feels like a third act reveal. Um, obviously they fall down the volcano, which is hilarious when they're talking about like... How long? How long have we been falling for? And he's like, I don't know. My watch doesn't tell time. It's like one of my favorite, (laughs) one of my favorite callbacks because he's just so sassy and I love it. Um, And it's kind of like they meet him, and then the other kids come in, and then all of a sudden they've got their third act sort of action point to go, and then all of a sudden you're seeing the rest of the island. And it's just like this feels really like stop start. I don't. I wonder if they hadn't. That sure, don't leave him to, as a reveal to the end, but maybe teased him a little bit more and be like, oh my god, who is it? Maybe they saw someone live there but didn't meet him yet and they kind of piece things together rather than be told what... <laughs> maybe that would have been a bit more of a spy thing that they're the ones discovering this mystery and they're like, right, we need to do this, we need to find this person, rather than they go there and then it's like Steve... Uh, exp- uh, ex- what's the word I'm looking for? I was about to say exploitation, that's not the word. Exposition... Buscemi, I'm going to tell you everything about this island. Then it's like, okay, cool. Now what? Now we're doing like a whole other half of the film. So maybe that's where the pacing kind of got for me. And to me, the third act with the Transmooka as the MacGuffin just falls a bit flat. I don't really care by that point. 
about that side of the plot about the villain or anything like that i'm yeah i'm that that i'm not interested in personally how have we gone an hour without even saying the word transmuka transmuka which i think should be the new word for MacGuffin. i think transmuka is the word for that is so much more fun let's make it a thing cam if we say MacGuffin again we're transmukering it i'm down with that although i was like writing on my notes i'm like transmuker and then the next time, transmuger? Question mark. Because I kept going back and forth as to the spelling of this. But um, yeah, for me, like my weak point was the transmuker stuff, mm. which I don't really understand what it does. It stops powers, I guess. It's like, and it cloaks the island as well, or is that? It's kind else? of an all-in-one, I guess. It just does anything you want it to. It's a MacGuffin. Yeah. So like that sort of plot you know for the villain is not that interesting like mm. i think the first one had a stronger sense of what floop was up to and minion of course was who was the main villain whereas here i was like uh, okay and then also like no offense to uh, mike judge who's you know created some fantastic television shows you know beavis and butthead silicon valley uh, king of the hill but like as your main villain he's not strong like he appeared in the first one briefly and it's almost like once they cast that character in the first, they're like, well, there's the villain. And they were stuck with that guy. Who yeah, was... what can we do with him now? Yeah. He's like, oh, I want to come back. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, well, we need a bigger part for you then. Uh, you could be the villain. You know, it kind of feels a bit like that. I think it's really interesting, and I haven't seen Spy Kids 3, but that they cast Stallone as the villain in the third oh, one, it, which it, is more of it. a movie star presence. <laughs> whereas it. in this movie, he's, you know, a little flat. Donovan Giggle's characters in three as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's just they, you know, f the the friend version of nepotism. <laughs> I don't know if there is one. <laughs> you know, the whole Adam Sandler vibe of just casting your your, your gang of mates in a, in every film. And it's like if you you know cast Seth MacFarlane and stuff, which they did for quite a while. You know, he would pop up in all these voice cameos and things. Every time he brings like a really crazy performance to what he's doing, mm. and like. Mike Judge, you kind of get a guy. Like, yeah, he doesn't yeah. really bring a lot to the character. Yeah. I, I suppose I'll jump in for another quibble I have, and that is the lack of usage of the guest cast. You, It felt like more of a, a bigger world in the first one. You had Floop, and there was a lot of Floop, but there was a lot of Uncle Uncle Felix. He was in it more. Um, and But this film, you've also got the Giggles, who play a big part, but you've still got Floop is back. He's in all the two scenes, and I always want more flute. Um, I, I mentioned uh, Christopher McDonald as the president, who is always a riot in anything I've ever seen him in. But, you know, you've also got, you know, Danny Trejo is back in this film, and he's in mm. one scene, and then that, uh, of course, that famous post credit scene. <laughs> and that's it. You just feel like you, if you've got this bench, you might want to use it a wee bit more. And also the parents, and I, I didn't mention this in the first review, but you know when it comes to Antonio Banderas and Carlo Gugino, I, I, you know, I mean hashtag free some goals. Those two are just the most good-looking people right. on screen. I will just Madness. say, and it's like, wow, why are they not on screen more? I just want to stare at both their faces. You're right. I don't think they have as much to do. That what they do, they do perfectly, in my opinion. But yeah, it would be nice to mm -hmm. have seen them do a bit more in this one. I was hoping you were going to say um, Danny Trejo, Cheech Marin, threesome goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be fun. You never know. <laughs> I do agree with you, though. It felt more like the um, you know supporting adult characters. A lot of them were just kind of cameos. 
Whereas they would like build a scene around them in the first one, you know, the whole dinner at Danny Trejo's house in the first one. It's an actual scene they're building in terms of establishing this character. Whereas here, pops in, gives them a watch, disappears. Uh, Cheech Marin pops up, disappears, you know. Yeah, they're really sidelined, aren't they? They've, I wonder if the point was that they wanted to make this the vehicle for for the two leads two kids and kind of now that they're growing up a little bit and they have their own adversaries it's kind of like going for that vibe but you're right it's kind of just a shame because they they could have used utilized the cast a lot more i wonder if it was a little bit like the richard donner superman where when that movie was coming out they're like starring marlon brando and it's all about putting the big actor up front and then when you get to superman 2 they're like nope christopher reeves the star mm -hmm. like that's what this movie's about and I wonder if that was a little bit of the case with the first one. You really sell it as Antonio Banderas, Carlo Gugino, and all of the supporting cast. Because the parents are the ones buying the ticket, right? That you've got you've yeah. to market to the parents, arguably more so than the kids. Yeah, and so with the second one, they go, okay, the brand's established, yeah. the kids are the stars. I wonder if that was more of the thinking there. Yeah. I can hear the listeners at home saying it's called Spy Kids. Hmm? And yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I... That, there is that. I, I I just would like to stare at both their faces. Some more. <laughs> I, I, and Danny Trejo, I'll stare at his face too. It's all good. Um, I did have a question. I know the third film is three D. Oh yes. Um, I, I I'm interested to see how I can get it in three D. I want to see if I can find a way to watch it in three D and experience it because I think I saw it in the cinema in three D. But I'd like to experience it again. I wish I still had. I can see the case. I can see that it was a thick case because mm. it had the red and blue 3D glasses. It had oh. four sets in the DVD. It had a 2D disc and a 3D disc. And I am just absolutely distraught thinking that I don't have that anymore um, because I would love to just awkwardly wear the paper glasses that never fit your face properly and experience that in the original, how it was meant to be. You know, meant to be watched. Full intention. I need to find this. I need to find this. It must this be on eBay, surely. Didn't uh, Spy Kids 3D also have scratch and sniff cards in theaters? I think that was four. Was that four? Okay. Because it's, it's 4D oh, all the time right. in the world. So, right. Yeah. Which we'll get to. Which we'll get to. But um, I had elements and uh, moments in this film, especially at the Troublemaker Park at the start, where I, I felt like that this was trying to be in 3D and I wondered if it ever was. You didn't mention it at the start, but like it really felt like it was doing stuff like the vomit was right. heading towards the screen. I'm doing it. I'm gesturing at the screen that we're recording, <laughs> but no one could hear. No one can see me doing that on the podcast, but uh, there you go. Great podcasting, Scott. <laughs> uh, well, it's entirely possible because Rodriguez was testing out HD video on the first Spy Kids. So maybe he was looking at shooting with 3D techniques on Spy Kids mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. I think that's entirely possible. Okay. Well, that, that, that's interesting to know that at least uh, my eyes still work. <laughs> but this film runs at 100 minutes. Yeah. And this was my main question. Do you think 100 minutes is at least 10 minutes too long for a kid's film? It's so hard to say because we've referenced Pixar movies. There's a lot of Pixar movies that are actually a little bit longer yeah. nowadays. And then like... You know, parents will take their kids in droves to see the Disney Beauty and the Beast remake, the live action version, which is like two and a half hours. Ugh. So uh, I think it just depends if the kids are wrapped up in it. Because when I was really young, I liked watching Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, and those movies are two hours or over. So I feel like 
it's about pacing because if you have a 90 minute film that's paced badly or just isn't very good it can feel like three hours but if you've got three hour film that's Mm. wonderful and paced greatly and full of great stuff it can feel like an it can feel like an hour so i do think it's a pacing thing i did when i was watching it i was just like I don't know what the... I can't remember what the first one is, runtime-wise. But it's like hour 40. I was like, okay. I feel like if, if if anything's sort of like 85 to sort of like 90 minutes, uh, 95 minutes, I'm like, oh, what a treat. <laughs> and I'm like, as a film fan, that seems really like contradictory in terms of the fact that I'm like, oh, yes, let's watch less of the film, please. But... I think it's, uh, I think an hour 40 is all right because I don't think this film is necessarily for young kids. I think it's more sort of, you know, older primary, early secondary kind of age range and families generally. And they do pull back the third one's like 80 minutes. So maybe, maybe Rodriguez did learn a lesson with this one. You know, I I don't really don't know. Maybe he spent all his budget on Elijah Wood. Mm. And Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Lord of the Rings was still going on, wasn't it, at this point? Uh, in, in 2003, was it still coming out? The last one comes or... out in 2003. And uh, actually, I think Stallone may have been cheap at that point when they did the third one. I because mean, probably... he'd done like, yeah. he had done like detox and um, avenging Angelo and stuff like that. I think his career was in the toilet at that point. I mean, I'm not going to like, I'm, I don't know either of those. So I think that proves your point. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You'll be covering them soon in the W. Right I'm podcast. sure. <laughs> yeah, we've got like a whole semester slow night section. <laughs> well, I think before we wrap up and get to the knock list, I'm just going to throw it out to anyone any final notes, final questions about the film. Daisy, anything to add? Um, I'm really proud of myself that I can say Carmen's full name like she does in the password for the for the safe house in the first one, and I can't remember. Did she do it for the tree house in the second one? uh maybe i think so so yeah i i'm very i'm very not embarrassed and probably should be that i know her full name i don't think i know junie's but hers is carmen carmen elizabeth when he took echo sky brother cortez and it's like my favorite thing to wow. say wow that that was a moment there i'm glad i was here for that i'm glad other people enjoy it because it probably should be something i'm ashamed of to be but I'm not. I love it. I know Junie's uh, middle name was like um, Rodriguez's own kid's name. Oh, really? So it's like, That's sweet. Yeah. I think Rocket and Racer, and I, they all start <gasps> yeah. with R. I can't remember what the other ones were. Yeah. Rocket yeah. Rebel Racer. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 Love it. Wow. We, we, we've dived deep into Spy Kids, too. <laughs> um, Cam, what about you? Any, any final notes? Okay, well, I'll note that at one point, Junie picks up the fertility idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark and then hurls it aside. (laughs) That was fun. Um, Maybe George Lucas lent him that when he was visiting the set of Attack of the Clones. I have no idea. Uh, Also, we haven't really talked about them, so I'll bring them up now. The Giggles Kids. Mm. Did they work for you guys? I got a giggle out of them. (laughs) I think they could have been better if I'm... I'm sorry, I'll leave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if I'm if I'm viewing it from an adult watching this film like critically, I d- I don't think they bring much to it other than like an adversary for them to to be competitive against. As as a kid, it worked worked for me. Probably fancied the boy when I was a child, and uh, and I loved Gertie Giggles because, like I said, she can fly with her hair. So you know that's every young girl's dream. And boy, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's how Scott lost his hair. Was trying to do that. <laughs> 
I knew it. I knew it. It's too soon, Cam. It's too soon. I wonder if these kids, if you'd brought the Giggle kids, I don't know if they're in part three, so maybe they are. I have no idea. But like, if you brought them back in a, another film, if they would feel like they're delivering a little more just because they'd be more comfortable the second time around, like the way I felt the main kids were in oh. this one. But I, I thought the Giggle kids were fine. Like, they're more there to set up the dynamic yeah. between, um, you know, Junie and Carmen. So they deliver. But yeah, they were, you know, functional. <laughs> I like the exasperated sister thing. She's sort of done with his yeah. nonsense. Yeah. It's a shame that she kind of switches back and forth at the end. That gets a bit winding. But I, I enjoyed the dynamic. It was nice to have competent spies versus competent spies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they seem to have learned a lot from the first film. As we all did. Yeah. <laughs> mm. About ourselves, mostly, yes. Uh, I had two notes. One was, if you recall the OSS meeting at the start, um, all the adults uh, got knocked out, and I wrote it down as they all got spectered. Oh, <laughs> right, right, yes. Yeah, uh, just a call to the recent No Time to Die film where the entire spectre organisation, spoilers, got killed at the same meeting. Silly them having all their same agents in the same room at once. Ugh. Silly billies. <laughs> and it's a kid's film. It's a kid's film. This is the sort of thing you should be saying. Um, and the other note I had was about the president's daughter. Right. <gasps> yeah. What's her name again? Taylor Mumpson. Taylor Mumpson. Ugh. Now, she's really fun in this film. You know, she's barely in it, but a lot of people might watch this film and go, I know this face, and I don't know why. And that is because she is the lead singer of a pretty famous rock band now called The Pretty Reckless. They're great. And yeah, she kicks mm, ass. She's very so, different uh, now. If you were to compare <laughs> the pictures of her yeah. in Spike It's 2 and The Grinch, and then what she does now. But like, <laughs> I saw them play at Reading one year and <laughs> I had a bit to drink, and I was shouting at. I was like, "The president's daughter," or like Jenny from Gossip Girl, or Cindy Lou Who, like just on just on rotation, in the hope that she. Do you still dance ballet? Yeah. Do you still dance ballet? In like yeah. in the hope that she would acknowledge, which obviously she didn't. So. <laughs> well, I, I I've reached out to her agent for an interview. I doubt we're going to hear back. Yeah. Um. But I, I just think that's a nice, funny moment, and one hell of a glow up. Yeah, I had no idea who this girl was or who like Taylor Momsen really is. <laughs> and now he's a massive fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure, sure. I did appreciate that the um, president's daughter, though, when we cut to her in her room at one point, has like a doll that looks like Junie. I was like, that's oh, odd. Oh, I don't think I noticed that. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Oh, ah. interesting. So just to point out, you've got two people here who have watched this <laughs> film multiple times. And like recited mm. lines, and we never saw that. And then Cam watches it once. once. Eagle yeah. eyes. He's like, "Yeah, check out that one thing in the background for all of five seconds." <laughs> Not even the background; it's kind of in the foreground. Oh, oh god! <laughs> <laughs> it's it's near the end. It's when she's on the when she's um watching the message yeah. from him. Yeah, I knew what scene you meant. I just yeah, I can't place it. I can't. Can't think. Does this mean that Cam is the biggest Spike is two fan out of all of us? I think so. <laughs> oh jeez. Not self-proclaimed, <laughs> obviously, but... No. You've earned that title, Cam, I think. Sure. <sighs> well, let's hop in the dragonfly and uh, shoot on over to the island of the knock list. Cam, as we have a guest, can you just run us through what the knock list is? 
Yes, the Knocklist is the tortured acronym for Need to See Official Classics of the Spy Arts Podcast, where every week we talk about a movie and then decide if it belongs on the pantheon of all-time great spy films. So movies that have made it in, uh, GoldenEye, Goldfinger, um, North by Northwest, and the original Spy Kids. Ah, good. Are you convinced, Cam, right? Because it wasn't... You have to agree. Yeah, yeah. I good we job. had to when there's two of us we have to agree. So I had to I have really had to yeah, negotiate that work. one. So I, I that was that was one of my proudest moments of the year. So <laughs> that's uh Doing the Lord's work, I would say. Thank you. Was that our longest debate over a um knock list? I think it was. Either that or the born um supremacist ultimatum. ultimatum. Born ultimatum took a while as well. Yeah. That was four of us shouting different <laughs> opinions at each other. So that was uh that was heated. It was. But Okay, I think I might know Daisy's answer, but uh, well, Daisy... You say that. Spy Kids You too. say that. Well, but I... I, if I'm going to be purely objective, oh. I'd probably say no. <gasps> because... But if it was the first one, I would absolutely say yes. Because unapologetically, I think that's a, a very good film. This, I think, is just me having fun and <laughs> loving it. And, and, <laughs> and me being like, yeah, I used to watch this all the time. It's comfort. I love it. It's got great stuff in it. But I wouldn't... I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't recommend it for someone to watch necessarily and certainly wouldn't say it as and i think if aside from that i don't think it's quintessentially spy enough either to be a spy classic um it is much more adventure you know action adventure so i'm going to be controversial and actually say no but on my personal on my personal classics obviously yes I didn't. I didn't see that coming, but I think I also saw that coming mm. at the same time. I, I, I know you. You have a, a sensible. I head like on to, you, despite loving. Yeah, the film. I like. You know, I like to. I like to be fair. <laughs> You're being critical. In a good yeah, way. critical eye. Yeah. As much as you. Yeah. <laughs> as much as you can be, you know, completely critical when your 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 favorite films are Spike Kids two and Shrek. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen Jaws: The Revenge probably like fifty times in my life, so I cannot judge in any way, shape, or form. You're definitely going to be Jaws the Revenge um, correspondent for our W-rated episode. <laughs> I mean, he's got a Jaws poster in the background of his room right there. Mm-hmm. He is He's the Jaws guy. But, okay, so Daisy's going no. This could go either way, guys. Oh. I'm going to put Cam first. Yay or nay? Uh, for me, this one is a no. I think I, I enjoyed it. Like, I actually think this one mostly works, but it does have that energy kind of sag there in the middle um kind of a weak villain i appreciate what rodriguez is doing um i like the way he fills out the world here and just even throwing in someone like bill paxton who we didn't mention but like bill paxton's the greatest and just seeing him pop up you know infuses energy into a movie and he does that over and over again it feels to me just like rodriguez just playing in the sandbox but it does work i think for an audience it's just like when i'm looking at movies that we didn't put on the list stuff like say men in black Born Identity, movies like that, uh, The Man from Uncle. I had fun with all those movies. It's just that I didn't think they were kind of hitting that tier mm. necessary for tipping over into a knock list. So I did not walk out of Spy Kids too angry. I did not walk out <laughs> having had an unpleasant experience. I just don't think this is a uh, you know top tier movie. It's kind of hard to argue with that. And I, I know I'm like trumping it in like I'm going to be a yes on this. But there's two no's and I think I'm going to also be saying no it is a a step down from the first film not a mighty step down it's not come crashing down around it and it's something we've experienced you know a year and a half into this podcast now 
is that you know if we have a yes at the beginning sometimes you'll find it it falls to a no there on in with the sequels with a couple of the things we did like uh it's hard to pick one off the top of my head right now but i think ipcris file was one of the ones and then the rest of harry palmer's didn't make it because they just weren't as good mm. so you know maybe there's hope for three and four i don't remember enough about them to say uh everyone's making little sour faces so maybe not but you know there's still hope guys don't don't just say it's a no we'll, we'll see how we go we might really love it after 20 years is there hope no <laughs> <laughs> well there you go folks three no's and as such spike is two is not making the island of the knock list unfortunately <laughs> but daisy Mm-hmm. You're a rock star. Get your game on. Go play. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I want that to be my outro for everything. <laughs> <laughs> you should use it. Um, but no, I, we both want to thank you oh, for thank you. stepping up as our, you know, foreign correspondent, our Spike mm-hmm. is two correspondent, the only person that could bring the passion about this film, apparently, because Cam is not a passionate person at all. There's nothing left. There's I nothing mean, left. Yeah. I mean, imagine, it's a dry husk. imagine how I feel when I, you know, the films that I have to watch for my podcast, um, the latest one of which was The Human Centipede 2. So you can imagine how I feel. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the worst one of the three. It really is. I do not watch um, much like horror um, on that level. Like I watch a lot of horror movies, but like there's something about the uh, Human Centipede premise. I was like, it's like the extreme level of, yeah, it's not, it wasn't fun. It wasn't what I wanted to do with my Sunday, but you know, you <laughs> You make a commitment to these things, and at some point you have to face the music. The worst thing is, is that I already watched them out of curiosity and thought, "That's it. I never have to watch that again. It's done now." I've lo got and it. behold, There's humans. They're in a centipede. <laughs> yeah, I, understand I, get, the idea. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. No, lo and behold. So yeah, if you if you're going to talk about you know empty, you know, just trying to never, <laughs> just trying to get that out of your mind. Yeah, I I. I I can get it. I get it. <laughs> well, I, I hope Spike is 2 was a less painful oh watch God, than so Human Centipede 2. So much better. If we're going to compare <laughs> sequels, then. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, but speaking of your podcast, mm-hmm. you know, tell the listeners where they can find out more about you. Sure. So on Twitter, I am at Daisy Vic Edwards. And then the podcast is at W Rated Pod. Um, we are also on Letterboxd, where it's, um, I think it's just w-rated um and basically you can find the podcast on and in any way usually listen to your podcast if you're unsure we've got like a link tree that's on the on the twitter and everything so you should be able to find everything you need there if you just go to the twitter twitter handle awesome what we'll be sneaking in the the links in the show notes below as well to the podcast and to the letterbox as well so uh, easy to find just just scroll down well again we want to thank daisy for joining us and you can help us find out more about the w-rated podcast on their Twitter page and at the show notes below. But Cam, before we talk about next week, I do want to quickly mention our Patreon page. So yes, on the Patreon, we have done our commentary on the Ipcris file, and we've done episodes on Wayne's World and, dropping this week, War of the Worlds from 2005, starring Tom Cruise. I'm really looking forward to revisiting this one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But Cam, what are we doing next week? Well, if there's one thing Spy Kids like to do, it's take flight. And we're going to take flight with a different spy. A spy named Clint Eastwood in the 1982 techno-thriller Firefox. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about Firefox. I'm always up for more Clint Eastwood. And we have another Spy Master interview coming next week with the writer of the film, Wendell Wellman. So tune in on the Friday as well to find out all about how the film was put together. And he's worked with Clint Eastwood on a number of projects. There's some great stories there for Clint Eastwood fans. So check that out. Yeah. And so your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Firefox and join us next week. If you want to hear more about the Spy Hards Patreon and help support the show, you can find it at patreon.com slash spyhards. And we thank you all that have jumped on board so far. Uh, do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners... Things are a little floopy round here, but it's a living.